This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Republicans have opened another front in the culture war with the slogan, Parental Rights. Not just banning the teaching of critical race theory, whatever that is, but now they're campaigning to ban comprehensive sex education. With Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis in the lead, Florida adopted what they called a parental rights in education bill, which places restrictions on teaching or even mentioning sexual orientation and gender identity, especially in grades K to three. We call it the don't say gay bill. And it's not just Florida. Joan Walsh has been covering the grassroots activities of this new movement. Joan, of course, is the national affairs correspondent for the nation. She's been an on-air political analyst at CNN and MSNBC, and she produced the wonderful 2020 documentary, The Sit-In, Harry Belafonte hosts The Tonight Show. We talked about it here. She's also a former editor-in-chief of Salon and author of the book, What's the Matter with White People? We reached her today in New York City. Joan Walsh, welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. Well, for starters, what is comprehensive sex education? How is it different from the old time sex ed we are familiar with? It's hard to say that there's one definition, which is part of the problem. But in general, what it adds to what even, you know, older folks like me got, we, you know, we got like a, a film, the boys and the girls were separated. We got some basic anatomy and basic birds and the bees. What this movement has gradually added with the onset of the AIDS crisis, it added a lot of attention to condoms, contraception, just sexual safety. And and in recent years, it's added attention to LGBTQ issues, as well as, and this is the part that really bothers me about the movement against it, as well as even in the early grades, information about what constitutes abuse what you should say no to, what makes you comfortable or uncomfortable, what to tell adults about. And so they've taken this concept that was actually designed to protect children in many ways and twisted it uh, into something that is supposedly hurting children. And that's what galls me the most, I would have to say. One of the grassroots campaigns you report on is in Worcester, Mass, where some school board candidates ran under the slogan, opt out of pornographic sex education. Tell us about that. Well, there's a movement there and uh, a woman, a mother uh, by the name of Chanel Susie decided to run for school committee and, and make this movement part of her platform, central to her platform. What what happens, John, is that people take suggested curriculum ideas or resources uh, and twist something that even liberal parents might raise their eyebrows at uh, into something that's mandated. They depict it all as pornography. They depict it all as sexualizing children. And that's what happened in Worcester. And this woman who has a very interesting and and pretty hard life, who was a teen mom herself, who seems like she would support comprehensive sex ed, she lost, but her crusade goes on. And what they're doing is trying to get Worcester parents to, quote, opt out because you can. I mean, in pretty much every place I'm aware of, parents can opt out. You know, your kids get sent home 
a, a message. We're take we're doing this kind of sex ed. If you want to take them out, you can take them out. They moved the number of Worcester families opting out from eight to about 3,400, and it's still rising. Wow. So that's, you know, that's her definition of victory right now, even though her actual campaign, you know, ended in failure. And you report that at least 30 places around the country are considering legislation that would limit LGBT representation in the curriculum and put limits on school clubs. Uh, how much of this is genuinely local and homegrown, and how much is coming from the right-wing organizations and foundations that we know about? That we know and love, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's really hard to say. I would never say that there is not genuine parental discomfort uh, with some of these changes. And sometimes they are not publicized or or explained well enough. Let's Let's allow for that. But there's also an unbelievable crusade by, you know, our old friends at the Heritage Foundation, the Dick and Betsy DeVos Foundation, uh, focus on the family, Family Research Council, et cetera, et cetera, to sort of turn their old preoccupation with especially gay rights um, and gay marriage into this new concern for sexualizing children, uh, grooming children. It's it's huge. It's hugely funded. It, Massachusetts has, uh, Worcester even, but Massachusetts has a, not grassroots, but a, you know, astroturfed uh, a family alliance that fought sex ed. Um, Worcester has a, a chapter of it. Um, this is going on all over the country. And if you go online, there's a stopcse.org. I didn't get into the, these weeds deeply enough, but you'll let me. Um, you go to stopcse.org and you find exactly how to foment a backlash to this kind of curriculum. You find, you know, information that it distorts what's going on, first of all. But then this is how you talk about it. This is what you do. This is how you approach your school board. These are the curriculum uh, ideas you should be promoting. And it's really insidious and it's incredibly well-funded. And in The Nation magazine, you report on some fascinating research about what we have found about the effects and the consequences of this new comprehensive sex education. It's much more effective than the old abstinence only, even in promoting abstinence in some cases. I mean, there are many, many respected studies that show it postpones the age at which teenagers, whatever we want to call them, commence sexual behavior, if that's something you're concerned about. It lowers rates of teen pregnancy. It lowers rates of sexually transmitted diseases. And there's also, because this curriculum is relatively new, the, the research is not quite as robust, but the research that exists shows that it helps kids avoid bullying, avoid sexual abuse, that the, the lessons surrounding bodily autonomy and, and sexual harm uh, and ideas of consent, whether you're a young man or a young woman, these are also taking root and these are also helping straight kids and, and kids that you don't necessarily think are at risk for these things. So it, it's really perverse, the insistence on abstinence only because it's not effective and more, a more comprehensive approach really is. You write in The Nation about a lesson plan called Pink, Blue, and Purple that has become a target. Tell us about pink, blue, and purple? 
Well, again, it's one of those suggested lesson plans. Nobody requires it. Obviously, places teach it, and I'm I'm not saying they shouldn't. So, so it's out there, but this is what the antis have really focused on. And basically, 99% of it is uh, an exercise in preventing sex stereotyping. So it starts with, you know, should you, oh, somebody, so-and-so had a, a boy, should you send them a pink uh, congratulations card or a blue one? Well, here's why neither matters. Are there girl toys and boy toys? No. Are there girl jobs and boy jobs? No. And then it, it, the, the controversial language has to do with something like, you know, you might feel like even though you have girl parts, you feel like a boy, vice versa. Uh, and this is driving people wild. This is just, even though it's not suggesting anything happen as a result of that, it's just acknowledging that some kids, even as early as first grade, have a sense either that maybe they're trans or they just don't at that point in life feel like identifying with whatever the stereotypes about their gender is. So it's not like it's it's preaching, you know, everyone should transition or anyone should transition. It's just acknowledging the questions that, that kids have about their sexuality. But this is what's driven uh, a lot of the reaction. This is what they can really pull out. Um, and I have to say, so much of this has to do with the trans panic that we're seeing in so many in so many venues and it's it's really sad because it's making a difficult situation for many kids and families a lot worse and there's an even darker side to this movement the suggestion that people who teach comprehensive sex ed could be groomers or even pro-pedophile, a term we never even heard before, you know, a right. year or two ago. Where is all this coming from? Well, it's coming from a lot of places. I mean, the first time I saw it was Ron DeSantis's communications director uh, suggesting that anyone who uh, opposed their sick anti-sex ed bill might be a groomer or a pro-pedophile. And the only reason to, to oppose such a bill would be that you want to make children willing victims of sexual abuse. And as I said before, this is a precise perversion, an inversion of what's actually going on, where the, you know, this curriculum is designed to help children say no. Um, then, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the, the QAnon crazy in Congress picked it up. Other people have picked it up. Um, and it's become a real thing. It's become, you know, I didn't, I don't think I even knew what a groomer was, uh, yeah. except the one I take, you know, my labradoodle to see <laughs> every six weeks, you know, seriously. And it's like, oh, right. That was an old term. It's old term mainly, you know, mainly applied to gay men. And it's so destructive. And we, you know, we're seeing an uptick in at least threats. So far, I'm not aware of any actual violence carried out against teachers, but we're seeing a lot of threats and it's scary. And how potent do you think this campaign against sex ed is working out to be for Republican candidates compared to the campaign against critical race theory last year? Well, you know, you've got one of the big advocates of the critical race theory panic, the non-existent critical race theory, you know, that isn't taught in K-12, 
Christopher Rufo, this mediocre right-wing intellect who just gets a lot of wingnut welfare money, he was the Mr. You know, anti-CRT panic. He switched over to sex ed and the grooming uh, BS uh, and told the New York Times it's because actually sexuality resonates even more with people than the fears of critical race theory. So when you're a grifter, you move on to your next grift. And so we're, we're seeing some of the same people transition, so to speak, into <laughs> this crusade. Um, and it's really sick. You report the research that shows students who get comprehensive sex ed are more likely to report sexual abuse if they experience it, that they become sexually active later, that they're more likely to use protection when they do become sexually active, that they're more likely to avoid pregnancy in STIs. I know that you talk to some of the grassroots activists in Worcester about these findings. What do they say in response? They don't believe them. They don't they don't believe. I mean, this is where this is where we live now, John. Right. We you know, they have their own set of facts. So one of the people I talked to was like, oh, all those studies are by Planned Parenthood. Well, they're not. Some are. Um, some are by from the Guttmacher Institute, which used to be affiliated with Planned Parenthood. But many of them are independent, either by independent agencies or independent academic researchers. Uh, so they just say, we don't believe it. We think, you know, fake news, all, you know, alternative facts. Uh, and, and that's what's really dispiriting. It just feels like, I don't know, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you might have a chance to push back on some of these arguments with, with science. But Science doesn't matter. Science isn't science anymore to these people. Just like you have crazy climate denialism, you have crazy sex ed denialism. And, and uh, I don't know exactly how we combat it. One more thing. There's a history to all of this, which you remind us of in your piece for The Nation. The most fascinating part to me was about Reagan's Surgeon General the name will be familiar to our older listeners, C. Everett Koop. C. Everett Koop was a very conservative uh, physician. He was Reagan's Surgeon General, but when the AIDS crisis was really growing uh, and Ronald Reagan was looking away from it for many years, C. Everett Koop came out in favor of the use of condoms and said, sure, we should teach abstinence, but we also have to teach the use of condoms if we wanna save lives. And that was profound, but at the same time, I guess go going back to 1986, uh, facts didn't matter either because it, I thought as I was reading the history, well, maybe this leads to a kind of meeting of the minds between the two sides. Cause there were, there have been two sides since the fifties um, in terms of sex ed, it's been controversial and the right has just not, you know, not liked it, but okay, if we can save lives, maybe we can compromise. We could teach both because even today, a lot, most comprehensive programs teach abstinence. Abstinence is the way to not get pregnant and not get STIs. It, it is pretty darn reliable, um, but if you're not going to, and most kids are not going to, and young adults are not going to, here are other options. So yes, C. Everett Coop, conservative guy, had a funny beard, um, came out for condoms, but it didn't really move the needle. Joan Walsh, 
Her report, The Backlash Against Sex Ed, appears in the new issue of The Nation magazine. You can read it online at thenation.com. Joan, thanks for this work and thanks for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 